<laughs> hey, we all need some entertainment if we're going to have soul in our life. Today, I talked to Sandy Angulo Chen, a film critic, entertainment reporter, and book reviewer that writes for Common Sense Media, a nonprofit website that gives parents in depth reviews of movies, shows, and apps so they can make informed decisions about their family's media diet. I just can't tell you how much I love their mission of giving parents the tools to know what is appropriate age-wise, developmentally for their children. And it's not at all about trying to censor anybody. Some people have called Common Sense Media nutritional labeling for media. And Sandy gives us a behind-the-scenes tour of how they publish detailed Cliffs Notes with specifics about language, violence, sex, and consumerism in the content. At the very beginning of our review, a paragraph that sums up everything, and that's called The Parents Need to Know. Mm. And the Parents Need to Know paragraph is really what makes Common Sense Media shine. They also highlight role models and positive messages that's in the media that they're reviewing. What are these apps that you need to know about? Which ones are troubling because of the practices that they use in terms of not just your your data, but the way that people communicate on them? According to their statistics, Common Sense Media reviews reach more than 90 million U.S. homes through partnerships with media giants like Comcast, Netflix, Best Buy, Google, and many others. Their media education materials are used in more than 75,000 schools across the U.S., and their advocacy wing pushes elected officials in the media industry for responsible strategies to protect children from harmful content. Sandy and I also had a ton of fun talking about some cool shows and movies that I think you'll appreciate, like My Octopus Teacher. I had to have a radical change in my life, and the only way I knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her. And then I had this crazy idea if I just went every day. Watchmen. And a documentary that I think every kid with a smartphone and actually everyone with a smartphone should watch called The Social Dilemma. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. It's on Netflix and it's about Silicon Valley whistleblowers, some of whom I've met warning parents about the intentional engineering behind social media to override our sense of healthy consumption limits. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. And Sandy gives us her top three picks for shows that she thinks can bring families together during the pandemic. My husband is very, very picky. For him to sit still and want to watch something with me, he was completely kind of floored by how good it was. It was appointment television for us at that level of a marital, you know, Game of Thrones, a show that we watched together.
I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. I'm excited to have Sandy Angulo Chen here. She's a film critic, an entertainment reporter, and a book reviewer. She's written professionally about movies, books, and pop culture for more than 20 years, contributing to outlets such as Common Sense Media, where she's the senior reviewer. The Washington Post and Kirkus Reviews. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, a bunch of things that you're doing you know, during the pandemic here, I think we're all stuck at home and media consumption, as we as we know, um, has gone way up. Um, viewership is way up on Netflix. Uh, people subscribing to digital media is way up. Obviously, kids are back in school. Many of them or most of them are remote, so they're on their screens a lot. And so a lot of parents may have some mixed feelings about the amount of the sheer volume of media that um, we're, we're consuming during the pandemic. And I am excited to talk to you about Common Sense Media. That's where you've worked for the last 20 years. You're the senior um, reviewer there. And, and that's been such, Common Sense of Media has been such a uh, gift for our family over the years. We have kids that are 12 and 14 years old now. So we, we're still um, involved in what our kids are watching for sure, but not as much obviously as when our kids were much younger. But I've certainly had those experiences as you might've had I know, with your kids when they were younger of even watching some of the like, you know, old um, Disney movies that we always watched and then kind of realizing kind of was shocked, like what some of the themes were actually in those movies. And, uh, and so I'd love to hear about common sense media because it is a resource for parents and for everybody really, but to, to elevate sort of like, it's almost like I heard it described as the nutrition labeling for media and it's uh, now includes film and apps and all sorts of media yeah absolutely when i first started writing for common sense media i was actually uh, a writer and an editor for movie phone back when they did a lot of content and i was a, i was a young mom by new york city standards and i i thought we should have what was called a family film guide and back in 2006 Common Sense Media partnered with us. And after I left AOL, they said, you know, after spending a year partnering with us, would you like to just come be one of our reviewers full time? And so as a contributor to them, I've been writing at least 80 to 90 reviews for them a year since uh, 2007. Wow. And I just can't tell you how much I love their mission of giving parents the tools to know what is appropriate age-wise, developmentally for their children. And it's not at all about trying to censor anybody because we all love the, the medium that we write about. We have given a lot of reviews over to to parents for the for the past 14 15 years and i have to say that even though every now and then we get a concerned email saying that we didn't quite mention one or two minute things it has been really fascinating because you know we talk a lot about how divisive society is in our country is right now and i think what we've been able to do is 
no matter where your family is on the political spectrum or whether you are a family of faith or a family that is agnostic or atheist, there is something there for every parent because every parent has different values that they want to espouse and pass along to their children that they want their consuming habits to reflect or that they want their children to be challenged by. So I always use the example of my friends who have a more European sensibility about what their children watch are not usually concerned about sex and language, but they are concerned about violence. And then I have friends who are slightly more traditional and conservative in their views, and they're usually more okay with their children watching military and war films that have quite a lot of violence, but are absolutely not okay with their children watching anything that has sex or language. So again, we give parents the tools to make the decisions that are right for their families. And I think what we do that really is great is that kids and parents can write their own reviews and almost reflect what our professional reviews say on the site. So sometimes I have given a movie a 13 plus. And then when you look at what the parents and kids have given the movie, it might be 10 plus. And and we have a very strict set of rubrics that we have to go by that were agreed upon in a proprietary way by educators and child psychologists. So uh, I think sometimes that's also a good way to think, okay, well, the expert reviewer gave it a 13 plus, but I have very mature children. What are the parents and kids giving this? Movie right. So you, you really depend so. on the interaction, actually. You, you, you start the conversation and you start it in a way that is uh, specific and detailed and, and nuanced. So, so then people's reactions can also be equally nuanced, perhaps. Can you, can you say something about what, what, a, what a review looks like for some people who've maybe never had to do this or, or people who don't have kids? They're not really. But, you know, even this is interesting, I think, for them to understand how you do this and what sets you apart. What's the review look like? What are the kinds of details? What level of details coming in? Right. So whereas a review for a newspaper like the Washington Post or the New York Times is literally just going to be the critic's assessment of the film, the reviews on Common Sense Media are what I call partially service reviews and that our review is a service for families. So while it does have the part of the review that is my analysis and I can give a movie five stars regardless of the content in the movie, uh, I also have to give parents and families a grid that tells them how much language, violence, sex, and also consumerism, because that matters a lot to certain families. Right. If them, if you, if they feel that the movie is just pitching a toy, or or some sort of basically elaborate commercial for a particular item, then they some some families aren't okay with that. And then I also let you know about the role models and representations in the movie and the messages, the positive messages. And that way it's all laid out. And I have to, sometimes I review faith-based movies and I have to say, I am a person, I am a churchgoer, but I also sort of make it clear that probably if your family is not a churchgoer and has no interest in a movie with Christian themes, and this is not the movie for you. Right, right. So, and on the flip side, I've recently had to review lots of documentaries, which are very, you know, very clearly, you are going to enjoy this movie if you 
believe a certain way about, say, immigration policy or about voter suppression. And and if you don't, I'm just letting you know that this is what is entailed in this documentary. So that part is called the grid. But then we also have at the very beginning of our review, a paragraph that sums up everything. And that's called the parents need to know. Mm. And the parents need to know paragraph is really what makes common sense media shine, which is before you've read what I even think of the movie, I'm just laying out to you very quickly what the movie is about, who's in it, what are the major themes, and what are the major issues that you might, as a parent, want to know before you decide as a family or as the grandparent that right. this is what you're going to have your family sit down and watch. Right. Right. It feels so or valuable. I mean, or play. It, it, it seems to me that, that a, lot of, a lot of media journalism may either kind of cater to being totally like um, not wanting to offend anybody and, and anything, anything goes when we're not going to censor anything or it's the other way around and it's really moralistic driven. And it's sort of like, we, we're going to tell you what you should, should and shouldn't do. And it sounds like common sense really um, tries to be neutral in that sense and just be a tool that anybody can use and say, here's what's in it. You can decide how you want to use this, um, but you should know this is what it's going to be. You know, there's a shower scene and oh, there's a sex scene here, and here's what you see: you see frontal nudity, you, you know, you, or you see <laughs> you see butts, <laughs> or something like that, right? Right, and so that's a good example, which is that there's non-sexual nudity. Mm-hmm. There is language which is driven by the intensity of the situation, which is different than a film in which there's strong language in every line, or, or language and that so- is racially uh, a, a hate. Filled language. That's a that's different language, as we know, than than somebody's cursing in the Lord's name. <laughs> Absolutely, and we do let people know also about you know what would be considered a religious based uh, commentary because that is important to a lot of our readers. And I would say that for some people, sometimes we're a little too uh, nonpartisan. And uh, they want you some to take a stand to go and, somewhere. and say, hey, this is nobody should ever watch this movie. Yeah. So some people tend to use ours. And then if they are evangelical, they might go to plugged in online, which gives you a more uh, religious idea of the the spiritual themes and the religious themes. We're not going to do that at Common Sense Media. And if you're someone who really, really wants to know down to the number of language, then you might go to um, someone like my friend Jim's Screen It, which you have to pay and be a member for, but he's going to tell you the, down to the number of, of how word. many F-bombs are in a movie. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm not. I'm going right. to tell you if there's a lot of language and what kind of language is yeah. in it, but I don't have to keep a tally. And he does. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that. What's so cool about it, Sandy, is that we don't have time. A lot of us don't have time to watch the media. At a certain age, maybe parents like we, absolutely, you're going you're gonna to screen that whole movie before you um, watch it with your kids. But at a certain age, like it, we just can't keep up, and we really depend on the kind of like your Cliff's notes saying, like, here's what you're going to need to ask about. Like, how did they feel about when this happened? When some so and so comes out, or so and so, you know, whatever the theme is to talk about, and that seems to be the the point and how it can bring families together. 
Absolutely. And one of my favorite parts of the review, although I think it's probably one that gets skipped a lot, is uh, what you can talk about, what families can discuss after Mm. seeing the movie. And some of the questions, when you read them, if you haven't seen the movie or the TV show or read the book, they won't make a lot of sense necessarily, but they're there to help you afterwards because the idea is that you don't just watch something and then it goes away. And if you want to watch something as a family and really have those ongoing conversations, we give you three to five uh, tips as to what you can talk about afterwards. That's great. Um, one of the reviews about Common Sense Media calls, this is the Wall Street Journal, calls it the new tech Avengers. Um, an unlikely triumvirate of Silicon Valley insiders holding the tech industry accountable on privacy and addiction. Um, and, and this includes people like Tristan Harris, who we're going to talk about in a little bit in the Netflix debut of the documentary, The Social Dilemma. So we'll, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. And I, I in fact, met Tristan Harris. Um, and, and that, so that, that inter- is sort of an interesting mix of what's happening in the larger story about how tech is developed, um, social media specifically, and how fast it is taken off. And then how fast it is actually, some people believe, outpaced our human emotional capacity to um, metabolize and make sense of it in a meaningful way that um, allows us to function, still function as a whole person. Um, So we'll talk about that. And when they reference tech addiction, I mean, it sounds like um, some of the people that that work at Common Sense are, are connected to this larger movement within Silicon Valley. In fact, people who are not just paranoid individuals or sent or puritanistic or moralistic people. They're people that want to make a lot of money and do make a lot of money in Silicon Valley in technology. But they realized, in fact, they were some of the early founders of um, social media, Facebook, Google, YouTube. Um, And some of these early founders have said, hold on, wait a minute. Now that this is out of the gate, we thought this was going to be used for good and it has been, but we also see it's being used, it's being abused in engineers are manipulating, um, especially young children. That's where they're calling the, you know, kind of raising the flag and raising the alarm. Um, Common Sense Media has this advocacy arm as well, right? So it does have, can you speak about that? It's uh, education about privacy and um, technology addiction, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that that is the arm that I know the least about because it doesn't work so much with our content, but absolutely, uh, many of them are based in D.C. as well because they are front-facing with with government officials because they want to get the word out there. They do studies and surveys and th- that are that are quoted in academic papers and that get a lot of press because they there's a lot of studying of how children and teens use media and their social and emotional behavior while doing so, uh, the kinds of images and things that even very, very young kids have been exposed to, they did in a study. And also, they also work with teachers and educators to also help them give their own students the tools about online citizenship. And they've come up with agreements that families can use in terms of 
what are the good practices and the safe practices. Now, it doesn't mean that just because your child and your teen has signed this that they're actually going to abide by it. But I think Common Sense does a really good job of giving you the A to Z of what are these apps that you need to know about, which ones are troubling because of the practices that they use in terms mm-hmm. of not just your your data, but the way that people communicate on them and what is it right. that you need to know about them. Right. I wanted to raise these and kind of get your input on them. One of them is the social dilemma. I wanted to ask you about that and how that's, how that's uh, I, I guess, what you're noticing in, in, in your industry, in your work, uh, about what people are saying about this, this film. Yeah. I mean, I would love to get your thoughts as well, just sure. as, as a parent and, and, and a therapist as well. But it's interesting because I have seen a lot of people posting on Facebook about it and how important it is. I mean, people who normally don't even advocate for watching a film all of a sudden have been saying this should be required viewing for a family, for school-age children, for specifically teens. Because again, as you're saying, their brains aren't even fully formed, right? right? So they they need to know a lot of the things that these experts, these former developers and engineers are talking about in terms of how it is that we are being sold, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When we use a particular app and and what it means for our privacy and why we need to be really careful and thoughtful about how it is that we're using the internet, but also the idea that a lot of what we see specifically on social media, the performative aspect of that, that that's not necessarily reality or what Mm -hmm. has happened on Snapchat or things that they're sharing with people that they think they love and yeah. who love them. Right. And then all of right. a sudden that, that person shares something really private that has been sent between them. So mm-hmm. I think it's an important film on a lot of different levels. It is. It is. And it's not something I think we have to be afraid of. I really don't want people to come away with the sense that, oh my God, we need to be afraid the sky is falling and you know our kids are not going to be okay. I just did an episode with Bethany Saltman who studied um, attachment in childhood and Mary Ainsworth. And, you know, the title of that episode was the kids will be okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think we need to remember kids will be okay. And the word a lot of times we use is about resiliency or resilience. Uh, I never, I never quite know if that's the best use of or the correct use of resiliency. Um, but it, it's not about, are you going to protect your kids from getting hit by these arrows uh, in life? Because that's, I think usually this, you know, the, a lot of a lot of our mental illness comes from trying to avoid suffering, frankly. So it's not like we're going to avoid having seeing something or being disappointed or realizing that we had too much um, or we missed out on something. But it's about how they bounce through that, how they, like you say, kind of can distinguish, oh, it's this and not that. And then and our kids, you can see it. They light up and they realize, oh, they, they're savvy. They know something other people don't. They're, they're not going to be tricked. I do think many of us overeducated parents have a tendency to try to shield our children from any, any disappointment, any failure. Um, and, that, and that brings me to talking about movies, I think, in film and media, bringing us together. I think they can be so, so powerful. Let's talk about My Octopus Teacher. It's about a guy named Craig Foster. And I was just mesmerized. I, I don't know if I was planning to watch TV for an hour or and a half or something, but I just... I. The, the world just went away. I just, I couldn't stop watching it. Craig Foster um, kind of had a breakdown. He he couldn't do his work anymore. He couldn't 
bring himself to look at another camera. He was, he's a filmmaker and he, he quit. He walked away from filmmaking. He couldn't do it. He doesn't talk about the personal kind of uh, drama of what might've happened in his family, but he alludes to it. Um, he grew up originally in, in South Africa. And so he went back to South Africa. And as a kid, he grew up in the ocean, literally diving, free diving, I will add. Um, in the kelp forests off the tip of South Africa. And so that's what, what he went back to um, when he basically burned out the theme that uh, people, my listeners will understand. I've, I, I've experienced, so maybe that was one of the reasons I was just riveted. I was like, wow, this guy is, I can, I can totally relate to this guy. So he went back. And, and one of the things I talk about in other episodes is about the importance of remembering who we are. And so he, here he is, Craig Foster saying, like, he basically had this, I would, I would call it a form of depression. He, he got a breakdown. Ends up going for his, for his, he remembers who he is. He goes back to South Africa. He starts free diving again. And he didn't want to do any filming, but he meets an octopus underwater. And, and you've seen this. So what, what kind of impact did this have on you? You're listening to the Soul of Life podcast with me, Keith Miller. Every week I bring you a new episode that hopefully inspires you to reflect more on who you are and who you want to be in this rapidly changing world. If this time we share together moves you somehow closer to who you are or lights up parts of you that have been unplugged, I want to hear from you. And please share the love. Take a moment to find the Soul of Life podcast in the social media where you hang out on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and let me know who you are. So I'm trying to figure out how to say this so it won't sound like I'm a terrible person. But my, at first when I was watching with my husband, I started to feel like this is slightly creepy, his obsession with this octopus. So I could, And I couldn't tell, you know, he has this very kind of lulling voice and accent. And then because of all the scenery, so I couldn't tell. I told him, I said, I don't know whether this is soporific or fascinating. But as I sort of got past, because honestly, he was almost talking about her, the octopus. Mm -hmm. He doesn't name her, thank goodness, but (laughs) it is a her and a she. And the way that he spoke about her was almost like he was in an intimate relationship, Mm -hmm. which I was starting to feel like this is just so odd. It's almost like he's having this romantic affair with this octopus. But then as I kept watching and kept thinking about it, I think there's a critic who said by the end, it's like Charlotte's web and Mm -hmm. the relationship between Charlotte and Wilbur, right? Like that it's mm. this it's this beautiful friendship mm. where all he could think about was her, the yes. the octopus. But it's not it started off in a, for me in an uncomfortable place of like yeah. immediate I get that intimacy of him thinking and he actually says that that he just, you know, lived, dreamt I just couldn't stop thinking and about absolutely. The and I and I think that should be named and I think people need to hear that name, especially in our in, in the Me Too era, like we're talking about an octopus here. So let's just be clear. Like this is an octopus. Yeah, this um, is a real octopus. It's a real octopus. In the, you yes. know, in the, in, yeah. in Alpha South, in it, the Cup Forest of South Africa. That's right. And there is nothing untoward. No. Although if you do Google it, there were other people <laughs> who right. got initially that's creepy right. vibes. But then as you keep watching it, it transforms into something so powerful and beautiful Mm -hmm. and healing, which I think is Mm -hmm. probably the most important part. And it actually becomes something he shares with his own son who starts joining him 
for some of the dives. And I have to admit that having gone from this almost cynical, which I'm not normally, but I was like, wow, this is almost like weird how Mm -hmm. intensely he's feeling for Mm -hmm. this octopus. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I was in tears. Yeah. By the end, there's just one line that he sort of throws out there in terms of, you know, and that was that was the last time I, you know, had physical contact. And by the time he's, and I just was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though he tells us at the very beginning what the life cycle is yeah, sure. of an octopus by the end of the documentary, I really don't think this is a spoiler. I mean, you no, just right. need to look up the life of an <laughs> octopus to, to know. But by the end, I was completely enthralled and I thought it was really beautiful. So I hope it's okay that I went from one opinion (laughs) and then just kept watching. So if you happen to at first be slightly put off by the way that he's talking about his relationship to the octopus, keep watching because it just ends up being a transformative experience for the filmmaker and subject of the of the film. And for you as a viewer, you start to realize we all need transformative, revelatory friendships and connections. Mm-hmm. And whether that's with a person or our pet mm-hmm. or an octopus we happen to find in the kelp forest of South Africa, right. we all need that. Right. And what all of these people and animals have to teach us it's it's all valuable it's, it's all it's healing all and holistic valuable. so i have to say that that was that was my experience watching yeah. um, you know my octopus teacher i totally i totally get that sandy and and i and i agree that it is it is worth st- hanging in there and seeing it i was in, just totally enthralled by the cinematography of this he's free diving for it seems like a couple minutes at a time and, and, and even th- just that is breathtaking, the footage that he gets of other other creatures that are down there. But yeah, the- literally breathtaking, right, Keith? <laughs> I mean, for real. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you're watching it and I just, I mean, just even the, the physicality of what he is doing mm-hmm. is remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's not something all of us would be able to do and to capture. And I thought the gentleness with which he spoke of the experience I just, I thought it was really inside. I mean, you can see how it changed his life. And I do think you, you, it sticks with you after you Mm -hmm. watch it. Um, Let's talk about Watchmen. Um, (laughs) This is something I'm, I'm out of school to talk about this. You know, I, I did not grow up as, as a huge fan of comic books. So um, for me to be mentioning the Watchmen is sort of like, it's like I'm veering into some, some, some uh, vulnerable territory here to say that, like, cause there are people out there that just, live, breathe, and this is like an entire universe of, of film and culture and, and media. And I, I'll say a friend of mine um, recommended this. And at first I kind of just rolled my eyes and said, well, what do you mean? And like he said, no, it's a graphic novel. You should read, totally read the graphic novel first, The Watchmen. Um, but if you don't want to read the graphic novel, just you, it's, it's, it's on HBO. You should watch that. And, and like the, the caveat he said is, is, I mean, there is a lot of backstory that you miss by just starting with episode one on HBO. Um, but, you know, you can watch the movie, which I have not yet watched. So I am missing a lot of backstory. I'm going to just admit this. The opening scene takes place in Tulsa where the Tulsa massacre happens. And this is for people who aren't aware of that yet. Uh, this is where Tulsa, Oklahoma was a thriving, probably the, one of the most prosperous areas for black people in the country, they, what they call Black Wall Street. And, yeah, you know, this was something, Sandy, in my history books in white 
Massachusetts. Um, Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre was not mentioned. Uh, and, and a lot of people to this day think of it as a race riot. Uh, incorrectly, it was a, it was a massacre and it was, um, inspired by the KKK, which just burned Tulsa to the ground and killed, um, and terrorized black people. We watched it live when it premiered on HBO. I, I'm not a huge graphic novel person in terms of having grown up with it, but my son, who's 18, like I said, my oldest son is a huge graphic novel lover. So I did a lot of research on graphic novels because like anything else, there's definitely age appropriate (laughs) levels for various uh, graphic novels. And of course the movie had come out and I had seen the movie, uh, which, which came out several years ago, I think more than a decade ago, but I really was impressed with the cast. Mm-hmm. And so Re- I knew Regina we were going to watch... Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson. Right. And so I knew we were going to watch no matter what. And the only reason that I knew about the... And I think it was 1921 now that... Because I knew it was after World War One that riot is because I believe that it is part of an exhibit at the Museum of African-American History and Culture. Mm. So it was not something I was taught about, but I had heard of it, but then watching this, what what had been referred to as like Black Wall Street, right? It was Mm -hmm. almost this community of Black entrepreneurs who had managed to make it to the the Black middle class in a very thriving, I think it was called the Greenwood neighborhood Mm. of, of Tulsa. And... The fact that you're thrown into it immediately, like you, at first you're like, "Am I even watching the right thing?" Like you're, mm-hmm. there's this disconnect because it, it, you just don't understand how this is all going to weave together. And I thought it was an extraordinary show. It was one of those series, and I have to say this only because. My husband is pickier about movies and television than I am because as a critic, <laughs> I have had to see a lot of mediocre and subpar things. And sometimes I see even the value in something that's not that great. <laughs> but my husband is very, very picky. For him to sit still and want to watch something with me, I mean, I can pretty much name all the shows that we've been able to watch <laughs> together. Otherwise, I watch them by myself. And he liked this. So he was completely kind of floored by how good it was. So yeah. we, it was appointment it was appointment television for us which is rare like I said, right? Yeah. Like maybe Battlestar right. Galactica <laughs> and Lost and at that level of a marital, you know, Game of Thrones, a right. show that we watched together. And right. Game of Thrones is another series where there mm-hmm. is a huge fan base that preceded the show, but then the, there are those of us who only watched the show and could have conversations about it with those people Right. read the books. Right. And I think it's the same thing. So I think it's okay if you haven't read the graphic novel mm-hmm. and you just plunge into it and yep. can enjoy it as and enjoy maybe is the wrong word. Yeah, it's it's a it's unsettling. A, I mean, it is uns- I'll it just is. say like I'm, we're we're just a few episodes in still. It it was a little bit like my experience with Breaking Bad in some ways because like I just like this keeps like it just just keeps breaking bad. Like this just keeps getting worse and worse. Um but there is like there is the superhero theme, so I'm kind of waiting for the redemption piece of it. But you know, just a little backdrop. I'm not going to spoil it here, but it's a it's an alternative fictional um, recast of the United States history. So the U.S. has won the Vietnam War. Vietnam becomes the fifty first state. 
Um, Nixon was reelected and, and there is an, an uprising of a white supremacist group called the Seventh Calvary, which takes up arms against the Tulsa Police Department because of perceived racial injustices. So the parallel between what we are seeing, it just seems so timely. And, and actually, I was just like, oh, my God, are they actually they're portraying this like this? It's like this so prescient that they that this came out. And not only that, Sandy. The, you know, part of the costume of the Watchmen, which is the, you know, secret sort of police force, which was disbanded. It was a superheroes, uh, police force, but they were disbanded, um, and, and made illegal by the U.S. Congress. So they had to hide their identities. And when they do come out because of this uprising of, of the Seventh Cavalry, they have to wear face masks. And then everybody's wearing these masks. And you're like, this came out way before everybody was wearing masks. Like, so that at a level of not only, racial violence and i will say it is a violent you know this is not for kids this is not for young kids very violent and and disturbing in some cases um so but but it's i I feel like it should be on people's list absolutely i mean in fact it was one of those few shows that we you know by then my you know my son was like 17 when it came out but we don't tend to watch those sorts of shows with our even oldest teenager but then i think during the quarantine we were like you should watch this you're 18 watch this and we'll have conversations about it and i think he didn't watch it until he went off to college and had to be quarantined for five days in his room and then he then he binge watched it and then we were able to have the conversations about it because it also brings up reparations Reparations, it brings up our, our our yeah it brings up um you know obviously sort of the way that as a capitalist country, we have in some ways occupied and taken over other Native lands. Peoples, and yep. so whether it's Vietnam or Hawaii, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like it brings up so many issues that are historical, that are sociological. Uh, obviously, there is this kind of supernatural superhero right. aspect there, I mean, there's to it. An alien but in some subplot. ways, that's almost the least interesting part to me <laughs> because there's so much to talk about when you see it. And uh, you know, from a critical perspective, the acting is so phenomenal. The yeah, Jeremy the, Irons. Yeah, I mean, just so good, and uh, you know, a lot of actors you've maybe never seen before. But afterwards, you're just going to be like, "Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. they're amazing!" Yep. So you can see why it was the you know the most nominated series. I mean, and, and you you'll come away with some uh, at some of those episodes like, "What the hell is going on?" And you're just going to be like. Okay. Uh, okay. But you, but you kind of want to come back because it's, it's so, so freaky. So some of the things that are going on and how it's, how it's paralleling some, some of the themes that, are, that we are struggling with as a nation. You know, to discuss something that's positive about being on the internet in a way that we probably wouldn't have been able to watch a show like this without the water cooler talk of the internet, without going mm. deeper. Mm. And now I True. don't, especially since it's all out now, you don't want to spoil yourself. It would be a disservice. Mm-hmm. But if you do very, if you if you Google specifically the episode that you have watched, yes. yeah. sometimes you'll end up reading really fascinating mm-hmm. analyses and just interesting ideas that you didn't even think about because it's, it's one of those shows that it's, it's impossible to catch everything. So want to, want to end with your, your picks. I had asked you um, ahead of time to, to come up with um, three movies um, that can help bring families together with their kids during COVID. So what did you come up with? So I actually came up with two different shows and a movie. So for 
kids, which I think can be interpreted any way you want, but it's sort of all ages. I'm a big fan of reality cooking or food shows because I don't think you need to know a lot to appreciate them. And they are always so interesting. So whether it's street food or our family loves the Great British Baking Show, which is on Netflix. And I mean, so is street food. We have watched The Final Table, which is an international cooking uh, competition. And I think that even really young kids can get interested because we all eat and I I don't cook. My husband cooks 99% of the time, but I love watching the shows and I do like to bake. So it gives me ideas of what the kids and I can make together or what I can tell my husband to make. So I highly recommend watching these reality cooking shows because they're easy to, to sort of drop in and out of and you don't have to even watch an entire episode to really get the gist of it. And t- I think that they are sort of multi-age in terms of enjoyment. Great. So for tweens, which I would think of as that next level in in literature, we call it middle grade, right? So it's sort of this eight to 12 age group. And again, or up, I was a huge fan of Enola Holmes on Netflix, which is a Sherlock Holmes style mystery featuring his little sister, Enola, and she's much younger and she is played by Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things and their mother has gone missing. And the, you know, all of a sudden her, her older brothers are in charge of her life and her mother was a real feminist and taught her to be incredibly independent and capable, but also simultaneously very sheltered. So, the, the movie is excellent and it has a little bit of everything. It has the mystery and the adventure, but also a little bit of romance. So if you've got, you know, a 12-year-old, but not so much that it will turn off the 12-year-olds who are not interested in that at all. So I just thought that was such a fun film and I watched that with my 12-year-old son and we had a lot of fun watching it together. So cool. that's my pick for tweens. Cool. And then for teens, which can also be 12 and up, depending on how okay you are with um, some language and innuendo. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't think it was really anything that much more scandalous than even modern family could be at times. But we were big fans of the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV, which is actually a spinoff of a little bit that had been on ESPN where Jason Sudeikis, the the comedian who had been on Saturday Night Live, he is a college football coach who gets hired to coach at the Premier Soccer League, which of course is called football in England. So he is given this opportunity, which nobody understands why. Like he doesn't know anything really about soccer. But what I loved about it is how earnest Ted is. And he's so, like you just fall in love with him because he's such a great guy. And so even though everyone is calling him terrible names because they think he's going to ruin their their football club and it is taken very seriously if any of you know any premier league mm-hmm. fans you know how how serious they are about their teams in the UK uh, but it actually just is so beautiful so it's a tribute to the the importance of being a good coach of having a good mentor of having someone who believes in you and how sometimes that is more important than winning or losing 
But I just love that show and my whole family got really into it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we'll end on that note. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, so glad to have you here, Sandy. And- Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so you can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrum. All right, I will go.